Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas on Sundays make for the best Christmases. And boys and girls, don't worry. I recognize the moment that we are in. That's why today's sermon was shortened to only three hours. <laughs> and if you're a guest with us today, please know that is not true. And we are so glad that you've joined us. However you come, however you find us, however you're here, whatever's going on in your life, we, we're glad that we get to share this moment with you today, this morning, and we hope that the joy of Christ is yours this Christmas. And speaking of joy, how about that sermon passage, huh? Probably thought, wow, you have chosen the single most depressing passage in the entire Bible on Christmas Day. This passage comes from what are known as the servant songs in the book of Isaiah where Isaiah prophesied about how the one that was promised to come would be a suffering servant. In this Advent, we've continued our sermon series through the whole Bible by looking at Jesus as our prophet, our priest, and our king. But today we have to remember that the glue that holds all of that together is the suffering service of Jesus Christ. He's the suffering prophet. He's the suffering priest and the servant king. And I get it. You expect this passage to show up on Good Friday at the crucifixion, not on Christmas morning. It's gruesome. It's unsettling. It's like a splash of cold water on our holiday because all of that gore doesn't mix very well with all of our gifts. But this servant song in Isaiah isn't just talking about the man on the cross. It's also talking about that baby in that manger. Isaiah refocuses our attention and he reminds us of who it was that was born into this world. And why he entered into this world. And remembering that takes a lot of hard work during the holidays. Because we live in a culture that invests billions into obstructing your view of the real significance of Christmas. Who wants to think about a life of holiness when we have all these holiday sales going on? We see Christmas get watered down and diluted to just simply being a holiday on our calendar. It's a time for family and friends, making memories around a fire, enjoying some traditions. We hear generic notions of peace and laying aside differences and coming together in a spirit of unity and embracing the hopeful spirit of Christmas. And yet Jesus is never mentioned. We see Christmas absolutely get hallmarked to death with all sorts of pageantry to where the nativity scene is transformed in our minds as though it looked like the last scene of a hallmark movie. 
with those patio rope lights hanging across the stable that looks like it was ordered out of Magnolia Farms. The shepherds are gathered around, sipping their lattes, dressed in their scarves as it gently snows in the background. And then there's Mary, whose makeup is still perfect after 16 hours of childbirth. She turns to look at Joseph. He turns down to look at her, and they share that simple on-screen kiss as the camera pans down to show that baby wrapped in her arms. And all is well, as the spirit of Christmas has been rediscovered. Some of you are like, how do you know so much about Hallmark movies? (laughs) I don't really want to talk about it. But I continue to serve my wife in many ways in the holiday season, <laughs> in the manner of Christ. But now, before, before you call me a Scrooge, I do love the holiday season. I really do. I love when this sanctuary is decorated. I love seeing those lights strung up outside. I love our services. And I love the whole season. But it's easy to get caught up in the pageantry of it all. And we forget the passion. We forget the suffering and the sacrifice. Christmas gets distanced from the cross. And all we got left is a little holiday on the calendar. And that day on the calendar can keep you so busy with a whole lot of other things than Jesus. So how can we treat the birth of Jesus as more than just a holiday? Or in other words, how can the birth of Jesus impact my life after the holidays are over? When the travel is done, when the gifts have all been opened, and life goes back to normal. And the servant song in Isaiah helps us out. It's what prophets do. They shake us awake. They help us see what we can't see. They help us remember what we forget. Because if we take a closer look, this passage tells the story of Jesus' birth just as much as it tells the story of his death. Because contrary to how we've come to think of it, the birth story is a story of suffering. Jesus' suffering did not begin at the cross. It began at Christmas, where a man named Joseph was rushing door to door, trying to find a place for his wife who's in the agony of labor, knocking on doors in between contractions, trying to find help. And it's where that young girl who's named Mary probably 15 years old, suffering through all that pain as door after door opened and they took one look at her and they didn't want anything to do with her. She's just left to wonder, where in the world is she going to deliver this baby? Just two kids, man, probably scared out of their minds. As door after door shut in their face, 
And they heard, there's no room for you here. And then in the end, all that was offered to him Excuse me. In the end, all that was offered to him was a stable, a damp floor, and a cattle stall. Mary and Joseph were both experiencing the reality of this Isaiah passage. This baby was destined to suffer. And they experienced the reproach of this baby, for whom the world despised and rejected from the beginning. A world that had no room for him amidst their busy lives, who turned away and hid their faces from him. He wasn't offered any worldly pageantry or celebration. Instead, he was born into the literal muck and mire and filth and dung of this world. And he was offered a manger, a feeding trough. And Jesus was born into this world the same way that he died. He was laid on a piece of wood and offered to the world. To come and behold. And Christmas is the story of how God Himself entered into suffering for the sake of His people and for the life of the world. Christmas is when God took on flesh and blood, and He came to serve despite how the world treated him, despite how he was received. He came to embrace the very world that pushed him away. He came to find them in their sorrows, to carry their griefs and to bear them up in their anguish. He came to find them in their sins and to still invite them to come close because he's the God who comes close to sinners. He came to pour himself out as a drink offering for the life of the world. Christian, this is your God. He's a suffering servant. And Christmas is when he asks all of us a simple question. Is there any room for me? Is there any room for me in the end of your life? And if we just treat Jesus' birth like any other holiday, just a moment to remember an event of the past that doesn't really shape how we think about our future, then our answer is no. We just turn away, and on December 26th, we go back to our busy lives. And friends, that is a recipe for you to be the exact same person a year from now. Because the significance of this moment is lost on us. 
and we can shut the door and go back to our own little world, all the while God is busy changing the world. So what does it look like to say yes? Yes, Jesus, I want to make room for you. And we have to let Isaiah teach us the deeper truths that we forget and overlook. He helps us to see how entering into suffering and service are at the heart of how God brings his transforming power into this world. Suffering and service are conduits for how he's going to make all things new. How he's going to make you new. And now he's going to bring his purposes and all of his promises to life. Isaiah helps us see that Jesus devoted his entire life to suffering and service from start to finish. And so, if we want to draw near to this God, who is a suffering servant, and we want to know him, then perhaps we need to rethink life. Altogether. So, how do we make room for Jesus? Well, Peter tells us how. He says, Christian Christ is your example. In 1 Peter 2, as he reflects on Jesus, our suffering servant, he says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He's simply pointing to Jesus, our suffering servant, Savior, and he says he didn't just come to give us an event to remember. He didn't come to give us a holiday experience. He came to give us an example so that you would look to the one who embraced suffering and service for you, for the life of the world, from beginning to end, and says, come and be like me. Come and find life. Come and find life in the most unexpected ways. Come and find life in the ways this world will never tell you to find it. And why does Peter say this? It's because he wants you to know new life. It's because he wants you to know the power of the gospel. And I get that on the surface, that may not feel like the most encouraging and exciting thing to hear on Christmas morning. Why? Well, because Peter's call To point to Jesus and to embrace suffering and service in the manner of Jesus doesn't line up with the life that we otherwise envision for ourselves. We think about the new year and how we want life to be different, and so we store up those resolutions. We wrap them in hope. Let's be honest, suffering and service don't get factored in very much, do they? But Peter knows that the best version of our lives isn't the one that me and you choose for ourselves. It's the one that's patterned and modeled after Jesus. And he invites us to see how entering into suffering and service is actually a beautiful gift. 
How so? Well, think about it like this. When was the last time that you heard a story about corporate greed that really warmed your heart? When was the last time you heard how someone winning the lottery finally gave them the good life? When did the gossip you overheard at work about another coworker fill your heart with hope and joy? Greed, selfishness, personal gain, lack of consideration for others, self-importance, self-promotion. These are the very things that plague this world. The very things that make people feel so small and so insignificant and so empty. Where is the beauty of everyone living for themselves? But on the other hand, what about hearing a story of self-sacrifice for the sake of another? Or how did you feel whenever you heard a story about self-giving love? that devoted itself to the welfare of another more than their own. Or hearing about how someone entered into the suffering of another willingly and said, my life for yours, friend. I commit myself to your good. Were those stories not beautiful? Did they not remind you of something that gives hope and joy? Are not those moments the aroma of Christ that are offered to us that says this is beautiful? This is life. And so what if Peter and Isaiah are wanting you to think about your life differently? To look at the life of Jesus and to reimagine the power and the beauty of a life that enters into suffering and service in the manner of Christ. Because perhaps, friends, that's actually the life you're really looking for. Because what about the beauty and power might you come to know if you said, Jesus, I want to make room for you in my marriage this year. I want to enter into the suffering of my spouse the way you enter into mine. I want to listen to their griefs. I want to encourage them in their struggles. I want to enter into their worst moments and their bad days with compassion and kindness. I don't want to revile back whenever I'm reviled. I don't want to exchange harsh word for harsh words. I want to know your healing power. Jesus, teach me to serve my spouse and suffer with them. What about the beauty of thinking about the year ahead and all that it might hold if you said, Jesus, I want to make room for you in my parenting. I want to be patient with their sin and their imperfection and their immaturity the way that you are patient with me. I want to learn how to share their grief and be acquainted with their sorrows. I don't want to hide my face from them because I don't really understand all that they're going through. But you do. So teach me to serve my kids and to suffer with them. 
or to say, Jesus, I want to make room for you and my friendships. I want to be the type of friend that stops comparing, stops contrasting, stops so being so worried about how I come across, but instead to be a friend that has you as my example. I don't want to fear rejection. I want to give myself freely. I want to be an encourager who finds them where they are, that walks with them where they're going. So teach me, Jesus, to serve my friends and to suffer with them. And how beautiful would a church be that chose to enter into suffering and be devoted to service in the way of Jesus. A church that collectively, together, we said, Jesus, we want to make room for you here. To be a church that recognizes that Jesus didn't take on any majestic form or any earthly beauty because God does not look upon the outside. And so what a life-giving place that we could be if we displayed the open embrace of Christ to everyone who walked through these doors, despite their story, despite their appearance, despite their situation, despite their status. But we said, friend, there is room for you here. To be a church that doesn't forget the lonely or despise their sorrows, but we look for them. We don't just hear about them and say, oh, that's so sad. But to say, no, I want to find them. I want to find them in their suffering. I want to look for them. What a beautiful place to be a church that runs to the sufferer that identifies with the transgressor and prays for the sinner. A church that pours themselves out, one for another, the same way that Christ poured himself out for us. How's that for beautiful? How's that for the life-giving power of entering into the example of Christ's suffering and Christ's service? And how much would the hope and beauty of Christ abound? And how differently would life look next year? Christmas is when we remember that God entered into this world in flesh and blood to show us a way of life that we would otherwise never choose for ourselves. And yet its beauty is beyond compare. So, friend, as you look to the year ahead, Jesus has a question for us all. Is there any room for me in your life? And might we say yes? Might we say yes for the glory of Christ in the life of our marriage, for the life of our kids, for the life of our friends, for the life of one another, and for the life of the world? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you offered yourself to us. We thank you that you came to us even when we would keep you at arm's length. But you quiet our hearts with your love. You calm our anxieties with your peace. You lead us in the way of life. And yet it's so contrary to all of the ways that we by default, want to operate, and so we need your help. 
Help us to see the beauty of the way that you love us, the way that you enter into suffering and the example of service that you left for us. Help us to be a people who desire you to come and enter in and fill every space in our lives from our marriaging and our family, our marriages, our families, our friendships, and this church. We ask that we would be a church that completely follows in your example to the best of our ability by the power of your spirit, for your glory and for the life of the world around us. And we ask that you would meet us at your table this morning that you would feed us with yourself. And it's in your beautiful name that we all say, Amen.